Hello and welcome to Habemus Papam, episode 167, Adrian IV. Dear brothers and sisters, Annuncio Vobis. Annuncio Vobis. Annuncio Vobis Gaudium Magnum. Gaudium Magnum. Gaudium Magnum. Habemus Papam. Today's Pope was born Nicholas Breakspeare. Yes, that is his real name. He was born Nicholas Breakspeare in the small village of Bedmond in Hertfordshire in central England. He was the son of Robert Breakspeare, who was a very poor cleric in minor orders, which back then would have meant not yet a subdeacon. Now, the story goes that either Robert's wife gave him permission or he simply abandoned his family to join the monastery of St. Albans, which was not very far from his home. And it's unclear exactly what happened next. It seems like Nicholas expected to join the monastery as well, but for some reason he was denied. There's a story from a fairly contemporary biographer that Nicholas's father drove him physically away from the abbey when he showed up, insulting him and berating him until he ran away. Nicholas decided then to move to France, where he started studying at the University of Paris around 1125. He apparently did quite well at the university, and he showed himself to have a fairly active intellect. He moved around some more before finally setting down in Avignon, where he joined the canons regular of St. Augustine at the monastery of St. Ruf. Now, at St. Ruf, Nicholas seems to have prospered, so much so that in 1135 he was elected abbot of the community. But then the community seems to have regretted this decision. Twice they brought charges against Nicholas and even appealed to Pope Eugene III to remove him. Now twice the canons and Nicholas went to Rome and each time Pope Eugene sided with Nicholas. The second time, however, rather than send Nicholas back to his rebellious monastery, the Pope decided to keep him in Rome, ordaining him the Cardinal Bishop of Albano sometime before 1150. Now, Horace Mann gives us an awesome little quip about this moment, comparing his humble origins being rejected by the monks in England with now his great dignity as a cardinal. He relates that he, who was refused to be a Monacus Albensius in England, became Episcopus Albensius in Italy. Now, we hear next from Nicholas in 1152, where he was sent on a diplomatic mission to Scandinavia. Norway and Sweden were in the midst of a pretty tumultuous political struggle, and at the same time, they were both still under the jurisdiction ecclesially of the Archdiocese of Lund in Denmark. Now, Norway and Sweden, for obvious reasons, wanted their own bishops. Now, at the same time as this desire for new bishops was underway, Nicholas had to face a fight between the sons of the murdered king of Norway over who would succeed to the crown. And even though it's not terribly important that you remember this, their names are pretty awesome. Sigurd fought against Inge the Hunchback and Eystein his brothers. It turns out that their father, King Harald, had been murdered when they were babies, and for most of their childhood they were treated as kings and their guardians ruled Norway. But once they began to come of age, they started to fight. Nicholas, arriving on the scene, sided with Inge, who was the eldest legitimate son of Harald, and brought about a truce between the brothers and sought to introduce to Scandinavia the practice of the truce of God, which had taken hold in Europe. And this was the practice that wars and battles and single combat would not take place on certain days nor in certain areas, especially around churches. It was an attempt by the church to calm the brutality of medieval life and allow for peace to grow, especially on days when men and women should be worshiping God instead of you know, cutting each other's heads off. Now, while in Norway, Nicholas also set up a new archdiocese and consecrated its first archbishop in Nidaros, where St. Olaf is buried, which is today the city of Trondheim. He gave the pallium to the new archbishop, and then he proceeded to Sweden. 
Now there he tried to do the same thing, to set up a new archdiocese, but the country and church was so divided that neither faction wanted the other to have the archdiocese. Half the country was more Gothic origin, and the other half was more traditionally Swedish, and neither side wanted the other to have the archbishop in their territory. So Nicholas was unable to accomplish his task there. But he said that if the two groups could come to an agreement in the future, then they could have an archbishop, and he even left the pallium behind for that future archbishop. And with that, he returned to Rome. He got back to Rome just in time for the death of Pope Anastasius IV, and it's probable that his tremendously successful mission in Scandinavia, where he definitely negotiated between warring factions and dynastic rivals, along with his reputation for vigor and learning, were fresh in the minds of the cardinals as they considered who to elect next. It was probably just great timing that put his name first in the list of all the cardinals. So the Pope dies, and this cardinal comes back at the exact same time from this awesome mission. You're going to have to give him a second look even if a year later you might not normally. So Nicholas was elected unanimously on December 4th, 1154, and he took the name Adrian IV. Now things were not looking great for the new Pope in Rome. If you remember from past episodes, the Roman commune and its spiritual leader, Arnold of Brescia, had revolted on multiple occasions against the previous popes. And still the Pope's hold on Rome and his safety in the city was tenuous, and at the same time, the Pope was facing threats from both sides of Italy. From the south, the Norman kingdom of Sicily, which for a while had been a stalwart papal ally, had over the past couple of decades become more and more defiant towards the Pope. In 1154, the successor of Roger II, who you remember had supported the anti-Pope Anacletus back in the day and had fought with several popes, was a man named William I. William had himself crowned king of Sicily without papal approval, which was a no-no, and he clearly took up a hostile stance to his neighbor, the Pope to the north. Now, at the same time, there was this new threat coming down from the north of the Papal States. The past two popes had tried to get the German king, Conrad III, to come south and help fight off the Sicilians and the Roman commune, but to no avail. But the new German king, Friedrich Barbarossa, agreed to the expedition, and he was now preparing to come south. But it wasn't a really joyful thing. There was a great sense of unease surrounding Friedrich, who clearly seems to have his own agenda and his own plans, rather than being a true son of the church. Now, on top of that, Friedrich was determined to exercise more control over northern Italy than his predecessors had. The Holy Roman Emperor had nominally controlled northern Italy, but in reality, most of the Lombardy area had been relatively free, with the large city-states of Milan and others ruling the area. Friedrich, however, began this process of ruthlessly putting down any opposition to him in Lombardy and Tuscany. Now, pressed on all sides, Nicholas sought help from an unusual source. In 1155, he reached out to the Byzantine emperor, hoping not only to bring back into the fold the Eastern Orthodox Church, but also to use the political leverage of good relationships with the East again against the foes that surrounded him. In 1155, the situation in Rome got to be so untenable that Adrian had to put the entire city under interdict. Arnold had stirred up his followers so much that a gang of them had attacked one of the cardinals while he was on his way to visit the Pope, nearly killing him. Now, interdict means that the sacraments, except for baptism and confession for the dying, were totally forbidden to the entire city until the commune disbanded and the firebrand preacher Arnold of Brescia was expelled. Now, this was effective, and on Holy Thursday, March 23, 1155, Arnold and his most loyal supporters were driven from Rome by the people, who were so starved for the sacraments that they would do anything to, to bring them back. 
But we've seen similar situations, frankly, in the past, and the Pope's hold on Rome was still incredibly tenuous. The pressure from the situation in Rome forced Adrian into negotiations with Friedrich. An agreement was reached in 1155. As Friedrich was campaigning in northern Italy, Friedrich would not seek to conquer Rome, but would rather protect it, and in return would be crowned Holy Roman Emperor. Friedrich headed at last towards Rome, and the two met on June of 1155 in Sutri, just north of the Lago Bracciano. On June 9th, the Pope rode his horse with his retinue into the German camp. Now, traditionally, the emperor would dismount and hold the stirrup of the Pope while he dismounted. But Friedrich refused to do that, saying he wasn't a groom, he was a king. And so the Pope withdrew, and not until June 11th, when Friedrich had shown, been shown that historically this is what emperors did when they met the Pope, did he agree to help the Pope dismount. Though apparently, as he was helping, he muttered under his breath, For Peter, not for Adrian. It was awkward at best, and a sign of bad things to come at worst. An agreement was reached between Friedrich and Adrian, one that included the capture and execution of Arnold of Brescia and the crowning of Friedrich as Holy Roman Emperor. Well, it turns out when you execute a popular spiritual leader of a rebellious city, things don't go over so well with the common people who've been stirred up by his preaching. Rome was going crazy, angry at what had happened to Arnold, to the point that the German troops were required to protect the emperor and the pope to allow them to enter the city. On June 18th, Pope Adrian at Mass at St. Peter's Basilica, crowned Friedrich Barbarossa Holy Roman Emperor. Furious, as soon as Mass was over, the Roman people attacked the German troops, and a large battle was fought all day with casualties in, in high numbers suffered by the Roman people. The Pope and Friedrich left Rome shortly thereafter, and they went to Tivoli. From there, Friedrich decided to leave Italy and return to Germany without fulfilling his promise to help the Pope fight off the menace of the Sicilians. So this forced Adrian to have to deal with him on his own. Luckily for him, there were some Sicilians who didn't like King William. With possibly some encouragement from the Pope, and certainly some from the Byzantine Emperor Emmanuel Cominus, who wanted to get back into Sicily himself and reclaim what used to be Byzantine territory, several nobles revolted against the king. Now, at first, things looked like they were going very well. The rebels won some key victories, and the Byzantines were optimistic. But then it all came crashing down. The Byzantines were defeated, and the Pope had to sign a peace treaty with William that basically gave him everything that he wanted and more. In fact, part of what he wanted was the right to certain lands also claimed by the Holy Roman Emperor, Friedrich Barbarossa, and the Pope was forced to give them to him. This was all codified in a concordat signed in the southern Italian city of Benevento, and as you probably would expect, it didn't make Friedrich Barbarossa happy with Pope Adrian. It was seen by him and by the German people as a whole as this sort of outright betrayal. This wasn't the Pope being defeated and begrudgingly turning its back on the empire. This was the Pope turning traitor to the empire. And it was about to get worse. Friedrich is back in Germany, fuming at the Pope, changing sides and not respecting him. But he's not blown his top yet. In fact, things are looking good for him, all things considered. On, on June 9th, 1156, he married Beatrice of Burgundy, which meant that now he would rule not only Germany and northern Italy, but also Burgundy as well. And in honor of his marriage, he called an imperial diet at the Burgundian city of Bescan. And things were going fine until a delegation of cardinals showed up, led by the Cardinal Rolando Bandinelli, the Chancellor of the Holy See. He had a letter from the Pope, which was not at all congratulatory. The letter denounced Friedrich for his supporting and even covering for the attack on the Bishop of Lyon while he was on the journey back from Rome. But that really wasn't what got to Friedrich. During the letter, the Pope wrote the following, For thou shouldst, O most glorious Son, bring before the eyes of thy mind how graciously and how joyfully thy mother, the Holy Roman Church, received thee in a former year, and with what affection of heart she treated thee 
what plenitude of dignity and honor she granted thee, and how, most willingly conferring upon thee the distinction of the imperial crown, she strove to cherish in her most bountiful lap thee at the summit of thy sublimity, doing nothing at all which she knew would have even the least be contrary to the royal will. Nor indeed do we repent of having fulfilled in all things the desires of thy heart, but would not without right rejoice if thy excellency had received from our hand even greater benefices, if that were possible knowing, as we do, with what great increases and advantages can come through thee to the church of God and to us. Now off the bat, you can see that the way Adrian was writing makes it sound like he gave Friedrich the imperial crown, which, to be fair, he did, but it's a very patronizing language. It sounded as if Adrian was holding that over his head, metaphorically. But what really made Friedrich mad was the use of the word benefice in Latin beneficia. See, when I read it, I translated it benefice. When Friedrich read it, he translated it more like fief. If you read it one way, it means greater gifts. If you read it in another way, it means more feudal territory, which made it sound like Adrian was asserting that the entire Holy Roman Empire Friedrich held as a feudal noble holds a fief, subservient to his lord, the Pope. Now, the reason it was translated this way was partially because of the work of the translator who had an axe to grind, and this was the imperial chancellor, Reinald of Dassel. Now, it didn't help that on top of all that, when Friedrich questioned the line, the papal chancellor, Cardinal Roland, responded, From whom do you have the empire if not from the Pope? Now, so Friedrich went ballistic. The emperor doesn't get his power from the Pope. He gets it from God. God ordained that the emperor rule in order to preserve peace, concord, and the safety of the church. Adrian, you can't even hold on to Rome by yourself. How can you claim to have dominion over the great Friedrich Barbarossa? I'm emperor of Germany, northern Italy, and Burgundy. The emperor wrote back in a strongly worded note, and I'll give a little bit because it's awesome. Inasmuch as the divine power from which is every power in heaven on earth has committed to us is anointed the kingdom and the empire to be ruled over and has ordained that the peace of the church shall be preserved by the arms of the empire, not without extreme, extreme grief of heart are we compelled to complain to you, beloved, that from the head of the holy church on which Christ impressed the character of his peace and love, causes of dissension, seeds of evil, and poison of a pestiferous disease seem to emanate. For recently, while we were holding court at Bescans, with the due watchfulness were treating of the honor of the empire and the safety of the church, there came apostolic legates asserting that they brought such message to our majesty that from it the honor of our empire should receive no little increase. They, as if inflated with the mammon of unrighteousness out of the height of their pride, from the summit of their arrogance and the execrable elation of their swelling hearts, did present to us a message in the form of an apostolic letter, the tenor of which was that that we should always keep it before our mind's eye how the Lord Pope had conferred upon us the distinction of the imperial crown, and that he would not regret it if our highness were to receive from him even greater benefices, of a truth at that word blasphemous and devoid of all truth, not only did the imperial majesty conceive a righteous indignation, but also all the princes who were present were filled with such fury and wrath that without doubt they would have condemned those two unhallowed presbyters to the punishment of death had not our presence since many similar letters prevented them. This was bad news. The Pope's relationship with the empire had just gone from bad to much, much worse. Adrian sent letters to the German bishops trying to get them to join his side, but that attempt failed. He likewise sent a letter back to Friedrich complaining of the malicious translation by Reinald and more conciliatory in tone. Now, he sent it by two cardinals 
who unfortunately were waylaid and even imprisoned on their journey to Friedrich, but he eventually received them in 1158. The letter was much more conciliatory and apologetic, but frankly, it was just too late. So prompted by this slight, Friedrich once again marched on Italy with the goal of completely subjecting the cities of northern Italy, particularly Lombardy. His military and legal impositions on the northern city-states, particularly Milan, caused the towns of Lombardy to revolt, and they turned to the Pope for help. The Pope, in turn, started organizing what allies he had, and by 1159 had grouped together Sicily, the Byzantine Emperor, the Papal States, and the revolting northern Italian cities into one alliance against Friedrich Barbarossa. The move was not supported by all the cardinals, many of whom were fans of the emperor, but Adrian persisted. As the representatives of the Lombard cities arrived in papal territory to cement the deal, they found, however, that Adrian had become grievously ill. He lay in bed at the papal estate of Agnani until he died September 1st, 1159. He was a vigorous pope, a skilled diplomat, and a learned man. He was buried in St. Peter's Basilica in an ancient Christian sarcophagus, which can still be seen today in the grotto underneath the basilica. And there's a plaque next to it from the people of Norway, presented on the 900th anniversary of their conversion to Christianity in thanksgiving for all he did to establish the faith in Norway. Adrian IV was succeeded by Pope Alexander III, and we will hear all about his very long pontificate and all the anti-popes that opposed him next week. Thanks for listening to Abemus Papam. You can check out the rest of the Catholic Bites podcast at catholicbitespodcast.com or find us on iTunes. Thank you and God bless you.